We're going to continue on our series. We've been doing really a whole, in the last couple of months, a series on really foundations of Christian faith and specifically looking at what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and how that affects our personal lives once we uh, follow Jesus. We've been talking about what it means to be born again and born of a spirit and how it, we're now born into a family, the family of God, how we're now citizens of a different kingdom. We're now part of the kingdom of God, and how that affects us individually, but it also affects us together corporately as the church. And so last week we took a look at participation in church life. So we're looking at spiritual gifts and how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to each of us as Christians and how we want to be able to work those together. We talked about one body, so one body of Christ, but many members and different roles, different functions. Now the great thing about that from last week, and we've had lots of good feedback, is it brings into lots of questions about things like this, about character. So we talked about, we were talking about some just feedback from life groups this week, talking about, well, how does character affect how I get involved in church life, which is a great question. How do decisions get made? How do people become leaders? How do we deal with conflict? How do we go through all these different things? And really, what people, and rightfully so, are asking really is about authority. Who has authority? And so how do we make these decisions? And so today, we're going to take a big gulp, and we're going to talk about leadership in uh, our in a local church, leadership in a healthy church, and we're going to take a look at some different um, passages in the Bible. We're probably going to look at some of the most controversial passages in the Bible. So you're not going to fall asleep this morning. You're going to be on your toes, and we're going to try to dissect some of these things and actually take a look at uh, why we believe what we believe and how that affects our practice. And we're going to be talking about, really, probably the three... um, How do I say this? The three things that are probably the most important things in life. We're going to be talking about the Trinity, so we're going to be talking about God, we're going to be talking about marriage and the family, and we're going to be talking about the church. So if you think about those things, we're talking about God and his glory, that's the most important thing. We're going to be taking a look at marriage and family, which God, we believe, gave, and it actually is a reflection of the Trinity. And from that, we're going to take a look at the church, which is the bride of Christ. So we're looking at three biggies here that are really important. And in order to really start um, about authority, authority begins with God. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. And so we're just going to read one passage. There's so many we could read um, from Scripture, but just one because really authority was a big deal about Jesus. So we're just going to take a look at Jesus for a second. It says here, And the end of Matthew, this is before Jesus ascended to heaven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So that's being real in the Bible. That worship is really a whole sign of authority and bowing down. And some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so let's pray. Let's ask for God's help this morning, and then we'll continue. So Father in heaven, we thank you today. We thank you just for your presence here. It's so wonderful to worship you, no matter sort of what state our life is in. We can come and we can look to you, 
And Father, today we just say we need your help as we look at you and how that functions, how you work as Father, Son, and Spirit, the great mystery revealed to us. As we look at marriage and family, look, as we look at your church, we just say, Jesus, we want to honor you. We want you to be at the center of all things. And we say, we need your help, Holy Spirit. Would you come? You're our teacher from your word. You're the one who brings revelation and conviction and understanding and clarity. So we rely on you today. We say, would you come and speak and help us to hear and help us to apply to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so even in this passage, we see uh, the Trinity involved. And I'll just put in one other passage as we look at sort of this foundations of really looking at church life. In order to look at church leadership, we we begin with God. So we're going to go God because church leadership really comes out of looking at God, family, and then church. So we have to put some things in front first. And this is when Jesus was baptized. Again, just to show uh, when we're going to get about the Trinity, when he came down, that's Jesus. When he came up out, out of the water, he immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So we're just trying to establish this whole criteria that God is one God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, that, that's about, whew, I don't know, that's probably a 10-year sermon series right there. Okay? So we don't have time to get in all the ins and outs, we believe there's lots of evidence, as we've just seen even from those two passages, that one God all the way through the Bible, one God, Old Testament, one God, but revealed Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we have this from the Westminster Confession of Faith in 1647, trying to find a succinct uh, definition. It says this, In the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, and there's lots of other good um, confessions through our Christian faith that really explain the Trinity. My point being here this morning is that we have to realize that God is our model for relationship. And everything I'm going to talk about over the next 45 minutes is in the context of relationship. And God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, is our model for a relationship, okay? The Trinity is our model for love, for unity, for diversity, for communication, community, humility, peace, order, and worship. So before we can look at anything, we have to see God, Father, Son, Spirit, forever in eternity, before planet Earth, before human beings, any of those things, God was. Father, Son, Spirit. Perfect model, okay? Unity, Diversity, communication, community, love, unity, humility, peace, order, worship. And from that, because we're made in God's image, as we're going to see, that's where we get all those feelings and desires for love, community, relationship, communication, unity, diversity, everything like that. It comes from, it starts with God. And we see probably the Trinity best explained, actually, in this. So there's our perfect model. Relationship, love, unity, diversity, community, peace. And we're going to look at one aspect of really the Trinity at work in salvation. We can look at the Trinity in creation, but we're just going to focus, again, for the sake of time, looking at the Trinity in salvation. And we see very quickly that we've got some different things happening. And we see that in the Bible, right from Genesis 3, so God creates Adam and Eve, sin enters, 
right in Genesis 3.15, God puts a plan in place prophesying that Jesus is going to come to help deal with the sin issue so that God, again, can have a people for himself that he can have relationship with, that he, his presence can dwell with. God initiates the plan for salvation. And the whole Old Testament points to Jesus coming. It points to a Messiah. It points to a Savior. And God the Father initiated the plan. So God the Father was involved. We see Jesus coming as a fulfillment of the plan. Jesus executed the game plan. So Jesus, as we see, was sent. And Jesus always talked about this when he came. He said, I was sent from my Father. Okay, and we see that Christmas came, born of a virgin, fully God, fully human, unique, all those things. He said, I was sent from the Father. Jesus always said things like this. Okay, he went and prayed, and then he'd say to his disciples, I only do what my Father tells me to do. And he says, I only speak what my Father tells me to speak. And we even see that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came and he executed the game plan. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He went to the cross. He was the one who lived the perfect, sinless life. Okay? Jesus, and he says all over the place, submitted to the Father, but yet he was still equally God. Okay? This is a really important thing to get to. Because this principle reveals, okay, as we take a look at it, that Jesus Christ recognized the authority of his Father, yet he remained equal with the Father. Okay, and we read in Philippians 2 about Jesus, it says, okay, he limited, really, his authority, and he submitted. And we learn in Hebrews that as a son, he learned submission to his Father. You think, how does that make Jesus was like the perfect son of God? He had all authority. He was God. He didn't lose his divinity. Okay, but he submitted himself, even though he was God, Okay, and you can read it in Philippians chapter 2. He didn't, it says, you know, he didn't try to grasp, you know, equality with God and all those things. No, he submitted to his Father. Now that begins a very important principle for us. And that God the Father and God the Son are equal, but yet they have different roles. And as we go on, we see after Jesus ascends, the Father and Jesus the Son, guess what they do? They send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus taught to his disciples, you can read it in John 14, 15, 16. Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to be your comforter, your counselor, your helper. And he's going to do this. He's only going to speak the words that I tell him. He's going to reveal Jesus. He's going to remind us of the things of Jesus. So, again, the principle gets extended. The Father and Son equal to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equal to the Father and Son. Yet, the Holy Spirit comes and he only speaks what Jesus tells him to speak. Okay, we're trying to establish here, and I'll, I didn't put it up here, but the theologians call this functional subordination. Okay, is this. Equal authority, different roles. All this reveals and illustrates the principle how Jesus Christ recognized the authority of God, the Father, while remaining equal to God, the Father. Jesus had all authority, and yet humbly submitted to the Father's authority and humbly served, yet he remained equal to God the Father, just as we see the Holy Spirit does the same thing. Equal yet different roles and deference for authority with the Trinity. The principle reveals our Trinitarian God exists as a community of equals with different roles and deference for authority within the Trinity. That is a fundamental, important understanding 
Because in our world, as we're going to talk about, okay, and we get into the next one, we live in a fallen world, and it's very hard for us to understand when we talk about equality that people can be equal and yet have different roles and different functions. Okay, that we short circuit on that one really quick. And that's why we've got to start with the Trinity, that we can see God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the way through equal in power, equal in authority, eternity, substance, all those things. Yet, different roles, different functions. And when we get to the issue of authority, we realize authority is a big issue. And it's probably, I said root of most problems, it probably is the root of every (laughs) problem if we go back. Because if you look at Satan, who was one of God's angels, the reason he was cast out of heaven had to do with an authority issue. He wanted to usurp authority from the Trinity. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he was cast out with a third of the angels because there was an authority issue. Folks, you look at every aspect of society, we got authority issues, okay? We even have kids now labeled with authority issues, okay? It's a root problem. And folks, we live in a fallen world where authority is a big deal. So if you look at our government and just how we're wired, you just look at the world. You look at our history. There's big problems with authority. Ask our teachers at school, are there problems with authority? You're not the boss of me. That would be the t-shirt all of us, I think, would wear if we're honest with each other. You look at families, parenting, okay? Then we also have the abuse of authority as well, don't we? So those in authority abuse to lord it over people, to domineer, all those things. We've got problems at both ends of the spectrum of authority. We have no respect for authority, and those in authority a lot of times abuse that authority or just abdicate that authority, and they don't do what they should be doing. Okay, So these are big things, and what we're trying to establish is this, is that we need a biblical understanding, and this is where okay, this only happens Really, if we're a Christian and we understand what we talked about two months ago, it begins with repentance and faith. Repentance is this. Repentance is saying, I give up being the boss of myself, and I bow, and I humbly say, now, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. And the Bible says one day, everyone's going to do that. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay? Thankfully, as God reveals that to us, we're convicted, we repent. That changes everything. Because now we're, we've been bought with a price. Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Now we have a kingdom perspective that changes everything. We need a renewed mind to have a biblical understanding for two things. One is we need a biblical understanding and a respect for being in authority. So if you're in authority, you need to understand the responsibility and what comes with being in authority. We need a healthy respect for that. And we need a healthy respect for being under authority. And boy, if there's anything we need today, is we need to understand those two things from a biblical perspective. It's a big, big issue. And Jesus is our example of both of those things. Jesus had authority. Man, they were amazed at his authority when he was on planet Earth. He cast out demons. People were like, wow, what was that? It says he taught with Authority. It never heard anyone teach with authority like that. He forgave sins. Well, only God can do that. He calmed okay, the storms. He said, people are, some people are going to go to heaven, some people are going to go to hell based on how you view 
me as Jesus. Okay? He had great authority. So Jesus is our example okay, of being in authority. Jesus is also our example of being under authority. Okay? He could have called down 10,000 angels when he was on the cross. Okay? Suffering and dying for not his sin, but for our sin. Yet, okay, he didn't because he was under the Father's authority. He taught us how to pray by saying, not my will be done, but your will being done. So folks, we have to understand, we have to get a new rewiring in our brain and in our heart and in our attitude that to be like Jesus is both of these things. To be like Jesus is to be someone who has authority and you've got to know how to use that properly, not to abuse it or not to not use it when you could do the good that you could be doing. But it's also very godly and it's very much like Jesus to submit to authority and have a right attitude to that. Now we're going to come in the next one, okay? There's some glitches in our fallen world about how that's really hard to do. But we just want to end with this, on this one thing. God, who is love, has provided leadership structures, principles, and people to provide order, safety, protection, growth, and discipline for our good and his glory. God has given leaders, he's given structures, he's given principles that's for our good and for his glory. And so we're going to move on now to family, but we start with the Trinity. The Trinity is our model for all these things, for relationship, community, love, unity, diversity. Do you see the unity in the Trinity? But do you see the diversity between Father, Son, Holy Spirit? We can look at it, creation, salvation, all these different things. And we see that Jesus is our example for being in authority, but also being under authority. And folks, we have to understand it can be both godly to be in authority and it can be very godly to be under authority. And if you can get that mindset, you can read a lot of the rest of the New Testament when Paul gives examples of being submit to your authorities. Okay? It's a godly principle that goes all the way through. Okay? Now we need to look on our foundations for family life because, again, before we can get to looking at church leadership, church leadership comes out of actually the family first. Okay? And so we're going to take a look at family, and this is probably the most controversial verse in the Bible, okay? So I'm going to be brave and I'll put it up there. And uh, we'll come to that in a second, okay? It's 1 Corinthians 11.3. We'll come to that in a second. Let me just first start with this. Okay? Again, we start with God. We read this in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So male and female are both created in the image of God. So that's our starting point, right? From Genesis 1, before sin has ever entered, okay, creation, which we pick up later on. Okay, this is foundational again, okay? Because we don't want to go to one extreme, the whole male chauvinistic thing. We do not want that. We don't want extreme feminism either, okay? We want a biblical understanding. Male and female, both created in the image of God of God. Hallelujah. Therefore, we have great honor, respect, value, dignity, whether you're a male or a female. That's our starting point. Can I say it again? Our starting point is this. Male, female, both created 
in the image of God. Hallelujah. Therefore, male, female, value, dignity, because we both reflect the image of God. That's our starting point. But we also read in chapter 1 and 2 how there's different roles for male and females. And this is before sin ever entered, okay? Because I'm trying to establish a really important principle here because we're covering a lot of big things. So bear with me, okay? It's important for us to look at creation because before sin, because we see different roles. We see Adam was created first, and if you read it through, you can read it in Genesis 1 and 2. We don't have time today, but please do. Okay, we see that Adam was created first. That's how God decided. We see Adam was given roles. Okay, he was supposed to rule over creation. He was to name the animals. Okay, he was to do all these different things. And God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. And he created a helper for Adam, Eve. Adam named her. Partners together, working together. Okay, equal in dignity, value, all those different things, but with different roles and different functions. Does that remind you of something? And that's not a bad thing. Our principle is this. The aspects of our humanity that are rooted in creation are binding upon people of all cultures and are not merely expressions of culture. Okay, so this is, bear with me. I'll just say it a different way. I'll say that again. Those aspects of our humanity that are rooted in creation before sin ever entered the world are binding upon all people of all cultures and are not merely expressions of culture. So what we're saying is this. Okay? Our value, our dignity, those things made in the image of God are fundamental for everybody, no matter what their culture is, past, present, future. And also, the roles that were given from God are for everyone, not just a cultural situation. Because very quickly, we'll get into, well, that was for back then, that's not for today. Well, that's okay for Africa, but that's not for North America. That's okay for uneducated people, but that's not fair for educated people. And we can very quickly write off most of Scripture. Now, doesn't mean there's a lot, of, a lot of things to work through, so don't get me wrong. Okay, We need some vigorous debate on these things, and we're open to that. But I'm just trying to say right at the beginning here, Okay, it's very tempting when we look at a lot of what we're going to look at just to say, well, that was cultural. That was 2,000 years ago. That was a patriarchal society. That doesn't apply to today. Okay, what we're establishing is this. When we talk about gender roles, we talk about these different things about marriage. Jesus did this. Peter did this. Paul did this. They went back to the creation story before sin ever entered the world to establish okay, their answer for some of those questions. So the big debate in Christianity today is this, okay? Were men and women given different roles and that's actually part of sin entering the world? So here's, I'll just try to put it succinctly. Within Christianity, these are two big debates, okay? Some people feel the only reason that there's gender role differences is because when sin entered the world, then male and female became enemies and they had to do different things and males ruled over women and different things, and that's one view. And when Jesus came and he brought reconciliation, everyone became equal again, then it went back to no more role differences between men and women. That's one Christian viewpoint, which you can understand. Where we be coming from is this. When Jesus redeemed us from sin, yes, at the cross we're all equal. Male, female, rich, poor, black, white, 
every language, culture, everything. We're equal before, and we're redeemed. We, we're sons and daughters of God. But we are restored back to the way things should have been at creation before sin. And we believe we're equal, value, dignity, all those things, but yet we can still have different roles even when we're in Christ together, just as we're going to see in church life. We're equal members in the body of Christ, yet we can have different roles and functions. I hope you can follow me through those things. And we're honest to say, you know what? As I've said, a large part of Christianity would disagree with some of the things I'm about to say. And we understand that. And we can still get along, okay? Some of it's the reason why we have different churches and different church structures. We disagree on some of these things, but we can still honor and value and respect, and we still work together with other churches who don't land in the same place where we're landing on some of these things. Okay, so we honor and value one another. God's design is this: He created male and female, created by God, different, so yet with many similarities. So we don't want to overstate things either. There's many similarities between men and women because we're made in the image of God, but there are some differences as well, and that's okay. But we have to remember, we're equal in value, dignity, worth, yet we're different. We're physically different, our personalities are different, and some of our roles are going to be different. And we can see that even in being parents. Male and female, made in God's image, therefore we're image bearers. And this is really, really key in our society. We've got to shift our thinking to understand this. We're God's image bearer. So we're made in the image of God and we reflect and bring glory to God. What we see is because Adam, it wasn't good for him to be alone and God provided a helper. It actually, in marriage, best reveals the image and likeness of God together. Now that's a very powerful thing if you think about that for a minute. We want to we, we just sang it in our song, don't we? We want to bring glory to God. I offer all that I am, bring you glory. What we're saying in marriage, and this is why it's so important that we are Christians, that we have a very biblical understanding of marriage. So that's why it's a big deal when we talk about marriage. Okay, And I'm not bringing guilt and condemnation on people because we got divorced and all these things. Just time out on that for a minute. Just understand me. Marriage is a big thing because it reveals the glory of God, that men and women actually coming together, and we see that God created that, didn't he? We read it. A man's to leave his mother and father. He's to hold fast. He's to cleave with his wife, and the two become one flesh. In a partnership of marriage, actually better reveals the image and glory of God. Because in marriage, there's a partnership, there's community, there's love, there's communication. All the things we see in the Trinity, we should see in marriage. Now that is a big deal. So that's why we need to value and honor marriage because it actually has to do with God. So I know the, the world doesn't understand that and I know for gay rights and all these different things, I know it's a big deal, but you understand where a Christian's coming from. When we're talking about marriage, we're not just talking about people's rights. We're talking about God in his glory. And that's why we're pretty passionate about defending God in that sense. Because this is about us as image bearers reflecting him in marriage. And because of sin, 
the first thing that happens is this. Women want to usurp the authority of men, and men want to dominate or abdicate over women. And that's our battleground for the last thousands of years. And in redemption with Jesus, he does this. Jesus restores us back to a relationship with God. He fills us with his spirit. He gives us his word. And we're able to then come back to understand how marriage was meant to be. And folks, the biggest thing we have to understand today, men and women are not enemies to one another. Husband and wives are not enemies to one another. Actually, together, we best reflect the glory of God. That's a change in thinking. And that's why we're passionate about healthy marriages. Now, there's sin and there's different things, and I'm going to get to, we've got lots of problems, okay? So, but the ideal is this. We're together to reflect the glory of God. The, the sin brought consequences. He attacked, Satan attacked. He corrupted male and female identity, value, roles, community, love. And he's brought us as enemies, competition, control, selfishness, abuse, and hate. And that's the world we live in. So it is a competition. And a lot of times husband and wives view each other as enemies. And it's how do I get my way? And we manipulate and we dominate or sometimes we just abdicate. And folks, that breaks the heart of God. As a church leader, it breaks our hearts. And Jesus brought redemption not only to save us from our sin, but to save our marriages and to bring us back into God's order so that we can best reflect the glory of God. Now you can understand why marriage is such a big battleground. Okay, in a spiritual realm, it's a huge battleground because Satan wants to attack the very thing that God first created that bears the image of God. It's a big deal. Okay? So we have to understand when we're saved, okay, our view of marriage changes. That we have to look at marriage now as God set that up to reveal his glory and to reflect back community, love, unity, diversity, all those things. And when the two become one, that actually is the best example of the Trinity. So folks, the whole issue of sex and sex outside of marriage and sexual abuse and all that, it's a big deal because it actually has to do with the glory of God. Okay? We have to understand that. Okay? And we have to very, in a humble way, make sure our language, our attitudes, our actions, even our sarcasm and all those things, okay? we have to make sure what we represent when we talk about marriage and sex is really important because it has to do with we're talking about God. Okay? So it's a sobering thing. Okay? I don't want to get too Victorian on you. I'm not saying we can't talk about it. We want to enjoy sex and all that because it's a gift from God. But we have to understand our attitudes and our actions. And in our marriages, okay, sex becomes the weapon a lot of the times okay, in intimacy. And we have to say, okay, we're not going to do that. Now we've got to talk things through. Okay, and we have to make sure we're going to talk about it here in a second with imperfect authority. Okay, so I'm not giving carte blanche thing. You've got to be able in your marriages to work these things out. But I'm just saying it has to be a value and a priority because actually it has to do with God. And Satan's done everything he can to disconnect sex from God. We need to bring it back in. Say, actually, it was God's idea that the two become one flesh. Okay? 
really, really important. Now, the things we have to deal with, okay? We have to deal with this biggie. And this is this verse right up here, okay? We have to deal with some of these verses in the New Testament that are hot topics. And by all means, they are very controversial. So there's no hiding behind it. You get into 1 Corinthians 11.3. You get into Mark 10. You get into Ephesians 5. You get into Colossians 3. And most of the time, these are not read at weddings anymore. <laughs> okay, We stick with 1 Corinthians 13, and that's about it. We don't have time to get into them, but Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 talk about this. Husbands submit, or wives submit to your husbands. Okay? Whew, that is a taboo thing today. But it also talks about husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay? So I'm just putting out there that you're going to have to do some reading on your own. This is where a big one comes down to is this. Paul's trying to bring order to the church in Corinth. And he says this, and again, there's a big context to it, so forgive me for taking some shortcuts here today. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, most of us would agree with probably two out of three on that one. Paul's trying to bring order, and he actually goes back to the creation order. So it has nothing to do with sin. It actually doesn't have anything to do necessarily with, well, it does in the sense of redemption, but he brings us back to the beginning. And he's saying this. In that trinity, and the big controversial word here is head, okay? And so again, I'll I'll be honest with you, there's two major camps in Christianity that are divided over the meaning of that one word. So one position would be head just means this, it means source, okay? So if you think of, uh, trying to think of an example, like a river, the source might be the lake, okay? It just, that's where it started from. And so the source of Jesus is the Father, the source, these are the, man comes from Jesus, that's sort of it. So if you think that, then that's one thing. Another whole position on it is this, head actually means authority. So we say, who's the head of the house? Who's the head honcho? That use of the word head actually has to do with authority. And we're saying, and I think, Again, if you, in the last four years of us studying this, we see the majority of the time, if not all the time in the Bible, that use of the word actually refers to authority. So we're saying, Paul's saying, I want you to understand, okay, the authority of every man is Jesus. That's where we start. I'm not going to get to the female one yet. Okay, guys, there's no room for chauvinism, no room for being a jerk, no room for dominating. There's no room for being lazy and passive and everything. Okay? The authority over us is Jesus. That's a big deal. Okay? That is a really big deal. That's a very sobering, exciting thing, but a very sobering thing. Okay? The head of Jesus is God the Father. That gets back to our first point, isn't it? Okay? That they're equal, yet Jesus is submitted to his Father. And third one is the head of a wife is her husband. Now, this is a biggie. Okay, so I'm going to stick to my notes to make sure I don't try to mess this up, okay? Paul writes, before that, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend to you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God, as I said. Head means authority, not just source, and it's the same word used all the way 
through in the Bible. As I've just said, God the Father is the head of Christ. Jesus is the head of every man. The husband is the head of the wife. In the government of the home, we see that, the hus- we see that husbands and wives are equal as God's image bears and that the husband is in leadership as the head of the family. Now here's what I'm saying. Male headship is not, I repeat, not domineering, selfish, oppressive, bullying. Okay, so we're not into wives being barefoot and pregnant and we don't let you read or write. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. And some people think as soon as you say that, that's what it's meant. So I'll just be brutally honest with you. That is not it. Husbands are to be loving, consultative, considerate, servant-hearted as Jesus is, yet with responsibility. Wives, to be helpers like God, the Holy Spirit, is our helper. Okay? Helper is not a weak thing. The same word is used of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we honor wives when it says the wives are to be helpers. That's an honorable, godly thing, and it's not to be made fun of or mocked. Wives are helpers, supportive, valued, partnering together. Husband and wives are allies, not enemies, both seeking God, both loving, intimate community with unity. In the New Testament, we are repeatedly taught that men are to function as heads who take responsibility over the dominion of their family in the same way that Jesus is our ultimate head who takes responsibility for us. Therefore, men must learn to be like Jesus, take responsibility to ensure what has been entrusted to their oversight would be well-loved and cared for. Okay? So we don't have time today to get into all the things of why we say, okay, husbands are head of the home. Okay? And we say that, again, in our world, that is such a negative thing. Okay? And I understand, because we're going to talk about this imperfect authority. But folks, from a biblical point of view, okay, we're in this partnership of equals. Okay? And I can just share from Angela and I in our lives. I'm responsible as the husband to love and care and provide and facilitate growth and to discipline all that in partnership with Angela. And if any of you know Angela, she's not a wallflower, she's not a doormat, okay? She's intelligent, she's strong-willed, she's got an opinion, she's not afraid to share it, okay? She's multi-talented, okay? She blows me away. I married up for sure, Okay? But in this partnership, God's called me to be responsible. So in everyday life, most of the time it's by consensus that we agree on most all things, but I'm still responsible. Okay? And nine times out of ten, okay, my final decision is going to be this. I'm going to go with what she says. But I'm responsible. So being ahead doesn't mean I get my way. It means I'm responsible for the final decision. Okay? And that gets worked out. Okay? And in love, and if I'm loving Angela, and I'm supporting her, and I'm encouraging her, and I'm providing peace and protection and strength and consideration, and she knows she's got a voice and she can be heard, and most of the time, okay, she doesn't get her way, it's the right decision that she's made, and so we're going to go with that decision. Then we never have to talk about headship, submission, authority. It doesn't even enter into our vocabulary because it's a healthy functioning. We're both seeking Jesus. We're both in it together. And the few times that we disagree, we need to pray about it more. We need to talk about it more. And at the end of the day, as we've done before, I can say to Angela, 
at the end of the day, with a clear conscience before God, I feel this is a decision we need to make, even though I know we disagree. And I humbly ask you to help me to pray, to make this decision. And if at time goes on, it was the wrong decision, I'll humbly ask for your forgiveness. And I admit up front, I could be wrong, but this is what I feel God has because I'm responsible before God. That's how it should be worked out. Okay? Now, the problem is, we live in an imperfect world. Jesus' authority is perfect. Earthly authority is imperfect. So if we have an authority, whether it be a husband or a parent or a government or a boss, anything who is indeed acting sinfully, breaking the laws of a higher authority, rather than abandoning authority altogether, we can and should appeal to a higher authority for justice and protection. So in our church... Just for an example, you know what? Sometimes we have marriage things. You know what? A husband or a wife can come to us. They're submitted to the Word of God. They're submitted to Jesus. They're submitted to this local church. If a husband isn't treating a wife properly, maybe, I mean, it could just be even something, you know, just treating harsh or not doing things. I'm not even talking about full-blown abuse, okay? The wife can appeal to Scripture. The wife can appeal to other Christian friends, to the elders, just to say, hey, this is what... Going on, we need help. You're allowed to do that, and it's encouraged. Okay, and if there's any form of abuse or anything, okay, you can go to the police. So, you need to hear me loud and clear churches have gotten this wrong many, many times. Okay, so many times women have remained in bad situations in order to submit to their husbands, and they've been beat up, and they've been hurt and abused physically, sexually, emotionally, all of that. Okay, we are not saying that. Okay. Husbands, you never hit your wife, ever. Okay? Never, ever. Okay? And we will call the police if we need to. We'll step in as elders, but we'll call the police if we need to. This is serious things. You never do those things. So we need to be clear on this. Imperfect authority. Okay? We've got heart issues. Our heart is we want to submit to authority. And we see this with government things as well, even the New Testament. They wanted to obey government authority, and they did, even though they were beaten sometimes in different things. But sometimes they're like, we, can't, we have to obey God rather than men. But their heart was to submit. Okay? And I'm saying we have heart issues. Our heart is to submit. But sometimes, because of justice, safety, and accountability, okay, we need to do other things. And you have permission to do that. You can appeal to a higher authority. We have to be clear on those things, okay? This is what we're aiming for, we believe, biblically, okay? Because of sin and we live in a fallen world and we don't always get things right, okay? There's, we're under imperfect authority and God's given us provisions for our safety and our protection, but we want to try to keep our heart right, okay? Those are really important things for us to understand. We're accountable when we're in authority. Now, from here... We have to go through these things, and we'll finish up with this. You have to understand God first. God establishes marriage because when we get the church leadership, guess what? God's basically saying those who lead their homes well are now qualified to lead the church. That's why we couldn't start with church leadership. We had to start Father, Son, Holy Spirit as our model. Then we get to family, and then we get to church. I'm going to put in one verse, okay, and then we'll get through, okay, the couple of main verses when we talk about 
uh, church leadership. We're going to talk about elders. We're going to talk about deacons. We're going to talk about church members. Here's just one. Again, just for, there's another one in Titus. There's another one. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, this saying is trustworthy. that Anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is another word for elder. Okay? He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Do you see some patterns here? Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And here's just one verse from Philippians, and it's packed with everything. Okay, and This is just the beginning of Philippians. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So we're just going to look at these three things, okay? And then we're going to look at, there's other things regarding apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're going to look at some of that next week, okay? But we're going to start out with this, okay? The Bible uses sort of three words interchangeably as the senior leadership of churches, elders, overseers, shepherds, okay? All used in different ways of saying the same thing. An elder is the senior, is in the senior leadership of the church, and it should be a team to protect both the church and the guys involved, they rule and govern and teach and lead and protect the church. And how are they chosen? Primarily, as we see through character. That's the very first thing. So that trumps gifting. So those things, all that criteria that we just read out, the exact exact same thing in Titus, character is the first thing. Basically, in order to be a shepherd, you've got to be a good follower of the good shepherd. That's the bottom line. Because if you're not following Jesus well, you're not going to lead others well. Men have to be good Christians, good followers of the good shepherd. They primarily are being tested. Are they a good pastor, overseer, shepherd, elder within their home, in the family, and in their sphere at work and everywhere they go? That's, so there's a relationship. How They test it in relationship with God, relationship with their family, and their other relationships. And they have to be tested and really approved by the body. And we're going to talk a bit more about that as we call apostles who help appoint elders. So there's another layer and a sense of protection to safeguard the church and the men. And they have to be proven by the body. So when we've brought elders forth, you have a season to bring any biblical reason why this guy can't be an elder. You've got a season to do that. Okay, so the body is involved as well. There's a calling. Okay, God calls, so there's a personal calling from God to be an elder. I remember very clearly when I felt a call from God for church leadership. I didn't know what that looked like, but it was a very definitive call upon my life that forever changed my life. I wasn't going looking for it. I tried to run away from it. I didn't actually want it, okay, but God called me, okay? I wasn't appointed by people, okay? All those things, people play a part, but the start of it is this. God put something in me to do what I'm doing today, which is really important. Okay? And it should be, the call should be evidence to other leaders. It should be evidenced by the body as well. Okay? So that's an important part. And there has to be a competent part of it that they're gifted to fulfill the duties. 
So the elders are the ones who really, okay, as we're going to see on all these things, they give the oversight, the governance, the doctrine, the discipline, their examples, and their fathers to the church. Okay? So it's a, as Paul said, it's a very noble task. Okay? It's a very humbling task. With fear and trembling, okay, we approach it. And we believe, okay, in those duties, all right? And this is why we had to start with family, okay? The eldership is for men because one of the qualifications is leading the home. It's a government, okay, it's a governance sort of office, for lack of a better term, or role or function in the church. And again, you have to understand, and I'll give you examples from our own church, okay? In that, Women have a great voice. And we're going to look at next at deacons, okay? And we have male and female deacons. But for an example, in our church, okay, we as elders, every second week we meet with our wives. So we meet as elders at least once a week, usually more for hours to be able to talk and plan and pray and deal with different things and deal with sort of the past, the present, and the future. And every second week our wives join us for the evening to be able to talk, pray, get their perspective, get their input as we value and I think if you know Barb, Angela, and Marilyn at all, once again, okay, they're pretty strong individuals. They're very strong women, and we benefit from their input and their voice. Okay, so it's really important for you as women in the church to understand, as we're going to see, that there's structure and there's places that your input is valued and needed, but there's context for you to give your input as well. And... For the other 99% or 98% of the men who are elders, there's context for you as well. So it's really important. And just some of the things we're doing with our bylaws and different things that we're doing that we're going to be introducing over the next couple of months, okay? We try to have things built in that, again, we don't want to just say we listen, but you can actually see evidence of how we structure things, that there's venues given for everybody to have a voice so that we can hear from the body. Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe God speaks through everybody. Okay? But much like a marriage, at the end of the day, somebody has to make decisions and be responsible for them. But it's really, really important that people understand they have a voice. It's very, very important. We also have deacons mentioned. And they work alongside the elders. Okay? To help lead the church. In a sense, elders usually get started. And very quickly, as we see in the book of Acts, they get you get overburdened pretty quick, okay? And we need other people who are identifiable and the same, really the same qualifications are given for deacons almost as elders, but the teaching, preaching, governance part is the only thing kind of taken out. But character's important, okay? Having, being able to be recognized in the body as being qualified for these things. Okay, they work alongside the elders, there's the biblical principle for elders to appoint deacons or assistants to help them. The two work closely together with qualifications nearly identical to the elders minus the teaching, preaching, governance part. And it's really the second highest position of leadership in the church and can be either male or female. So there's examples in the Bible of both male and female deacons. So this is a really key point, okay? Leadership is not limited to eldership. So ideal, probably... I don't think it would be overstated to say at least probably once a week um, somebody will come to me and say, so I hear you don't have women in leadership in your church. <laughs> I deal with that, I'm serious, every week. 
And I understand because rumors get out and you only have men at your church and those things. And that's why we're trying to explain things today. So you understand. Okay? This is, if you've been in our church, this is how we have been. Okay? But every once in a while we need to bring teaching for you to understand why we do what we do. So no, we are for women in leadership. Now most of the time they come from a different wineskin. Okay? They don't have elders. So they have a senior pastor, assistant pastor. It's a whole different, it's apples and oranges, folks. So you can't even compare the two a lot of the time. No, we're for women in leadership. Eldership is not the only definition of leadership. Okay? It's the governing authority for doctrine, for vision for the church, for setting church discipline, those sorts of things. But within that, there's great room for men and women to serve and to be in leadership and to have deacons. So for example... We can say, April Jewett, who was doing things before we even ever paid her, one day a week, I have no problem, okay? Sometimes we don't use this title because we don't want to limit her to one thing. I have no problem saying, April Jewett is working as a pastor for the Meeting Place Church because pastor does not equal elder. So we've got to re-educate some of the terms that we use. She's in a pastoral role. She's working with us as elders. She's helping work primarily with women. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. Is it a leadership position? Yes, it is. Kelly Curtis overseeing, leading our street-level work, is that a leadership position? Yes, it is. Now, do both of them work with the elders, and we work together on decision-making and making sure that they're protected and they're guided and they're supported? Absolutely. So we have women who lead life groups. We have women who lead worship. Okay, And you've got to understand, there's a lot of different ways you can land on these things. We have some people in our church, or some people not in our church, because we just have men as elders. So again, being brutally honest, some people are like, I can't live with that, I don't believe that. But you have to recognize, we also have people in our church who disagree that we should have women leading other things, and they won't come to our church because we, they think women do too much in our church. You've got to understand both sort of spectrums on it. We're landing is this. Men are elders from the home. They're picked to lead the church, just as we've seen. And we think that's more than just a cultural thing. We believe that's an eternal thing because it goes back to creation before sin. So even though in redemption we're all equal in Christ, absolutely. It comes back to our value, dignity. All those things are equal, but we have different roles and different functions. Elders oversee the church. Men and women in the safety and protection of that are free to use the gifts that God's given to them to help build up the body to be blessed, to be growing, and to make an impact on our community. So there's all kinds of opportunities for people to serve. Paul also mentions this. Okay, the saints really are the church members. And that's all of us. It's Christians who love God, who help lead the local church by using their resources, time, talents, gifts, money to help build up the church as church members. One body, many members. And we thank all of you Okay? And we're just getting things in place to, again, we've had to make some changes. And as I said before, we've got a whole other thing with our legal structure. And we're, we'll educate you more on that and what we mean by members and different things as we've been going along. And we get down to, and I'm going to end with this because our time's gone. Okay? We've got some heart issues, some pastoral issues, some practical issues. Okay? So here's what I'm going to close on. There's some heart issues here. Is this? I just need to be clear on this. Okay. After a message like today, okay, there's 
lots to think about, lots to debate, lots to discuss, lots to process. Okay? We give you lots of time and space. So we're not drawing a line today and saying, you must believe all these things or you're out by tomorrow morning. That's not what we're saying. We're saying the exact opposite. Okay? We're trying to be clear. Okay? These things are in the Bible. You can't ignore them. Okay? It's all through. Controversial things everywhere. You can't ignore them. And we submit to the word of God. There's different interpretations within Christianity. We understand that. And we've tried to work through. We've worked some of the policies and things that were standards. We've worked four years. Now we took one whole year just as us as elders and wives to work through some of these things together. So it's a very serious undertaking. We recognize we could be wrong. Okay? We're humble in these things. As I said before, we participate with other churches who believe some different things about these things. We don't look down on them. We don't speak against them. We honor them. We work together. We're all on the greater team. Okay? But all these things affect local church life. They affect how we do pre-marriage. They affect how we view marriage. They affect how we do parenting. They affect how we make decisions in the local church. You need to understand there's lots of space to work through and discuss these things. All we're asking is, okay, just guard your heart in some of these difficult conversations. Okay? Show respect when people maybe differ from you. We don't want to cause great division. We don't want to have a bad attitude. As I said before, we don't want to act like a jerk. Okay? We can have good discussion. We can have good dialogue. Sometimes it takes... We've been working on some of these things for like years and years and years, and some of you are hearing this for the first time today. Okay? You've got space to say... I don't understand. Lots of room to talk, to discuss, to work these things out. Some people on different issues in our church say, you know what? They come to us as elders and say, you know what? I don't quite fully agree with you. However, I'm willing, while God's got me here, to say, I'm not going to argue it. I'm not going to cause division in the church. I'm not going to try to gather others around me to fight this issue. I just want you to know this is where I stand, but because I agree with nine out, of, nine out of ten sort of things, this is where God's got me, I'm going to live with it while I'm here with a good heart. We're, we're okay with that. Okay? There's lots of things we're probably going to disagree on. But here's what I don't want. I don't want people okay, forming a group to rise up against what we believe of where we're going. Okay? You can have good, healthy discussion, debate, dialogue without it turning ugly. So all I'm asking is good heart, respect people, be respectful in our conversations, and be respectful when we disagree or agree to disagree with people. There's some pastoral issues here, okay? Messy. So we've got some marriages aren't going so well. And we have to understand some of these things are going to be hard to work out. And sometimes, okay, it's not, we're going for the idealist, what we believe, we're not there. And so we have to have patience and understanding to walk those things through on a case-by-case basis. There's some very practical issues that come with it. In our heart, as elders, as elders and wives, okay, is to be able to say, okay, you have to understand, again, we're trying to submit to the Word of God. Some things are very different interpretations. We're trying to wrestle through, and you have our blessing to wrestle through things as well. But at some point on some of these things, we've got to land somewhere. Recognizing some other Christians are going to land here, 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 here. 
here. We're here so that you understand what you're, why we do the things we do. And again, some things you're going to say, you know what, it's not maybe, but within conscience I can still okay, follow and be involved in this. And all we're asking is just for grace to be able to walk these things out together. But I want you to understand the importance. Okay, If you agree to disagree with some of these things, okay, I just want you to make sure you understand that there's a biblical reason to it, not just an emotional reason. Okay, we want to submit to the Word of God from a biblical point of view, not a reactionary point of view. So we need to take time to make sure we can sort through some of these things. Because what we're talking about, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's the most important thing on planet Earth and will be for eternity. It affects our worship of Him. When we talk about marriage and family, the most important unit that God's created on earth. We talk about the church. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. He gave his life and he loved and he's coming again. So in all these discussions, honor, respect, value. Okay? We can walk these things through together in a humble way that is going to bring glory to God, that's going to enrich and help our lives and we believe is going to be a light to our dark world. Okay? So you would join with me. just want to pray, ask for God's help in these things. Our time has come. Okay, we got to get our kids and honor our kids' workers and everything. Okay, can I just ask, would you please stand? And let's ask for God's help as we now wrestle through some of these things. We learn to apply these things humbly. Father in heaven, we thank you today for who you are. You're the God, the great I am, who was and is and is to come. And we just say, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We worship you today and we thank you for men and for women. We thank you for marriage. We thank you for families. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who redeems us and the power and the penalty and the pollution and the corruption of sin. And we pray today as you renew our minds and our hearts through your word and by your Holy Spirit, we pray today that you would help us, Lord. We just say humbly, God, that we need your help, Lord, to understand and apply these truths. We want to submit to you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. Would you help us in these things that you get honored and glorified, that, Lord, we live in the good of how you've arranged things, that, Lord, we'd be a witness to this dark world, that, Lord, we would help, Lord, make a difference, Lord, with broken families and broken homes and abuse and authority. God, we want to say, Lord, help us to be an example, God, that would actually show people Jesus and the love of our Father in heaven. God, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we dialogue. Lord, help us as I know some of us are going to disagree on things. Lord, help us, Lord, to guard our hearts, Lord, to guard our words, Lord, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. God, help us in these things. Lord, protect our church, we pray, from the enemy. God, that none of these things would be misinterpreted or misunderstood. But God, that Jesus, you would grow your church that you're building. That's your bride that you died for, that you're coming again for. Let it be whole and healthy, spotless, blameless, pure. God, we know that as we just sang, Lord, you're perfect in power. You're perfect in love. You're perfect in purity. Lord, Help us to be transformed, to be like that. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen.